0: Ginoa. This is Charles Smith I'm Ojibwe from the Fauna Lac Reservation And you're listening to the Middle of the Res Road Podcast
1: the Shinabe Doug this is Joel Boje. I'm an Ojibwe from the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians. This is in collaboration with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, a.k.a. MNTCC, the show that is designed to be the source of information about industry job opportunities, success stories, trainings, and upcoming projects for Native Americans.
0: We also share about our culture and language because it is the foundation of our identities. Oh. Welcome back to the Middle of the Res Road Podcast. This is Episode Five, and we have Nelly and Hannah Tibbetts here with us,
1: and always I am one of your hosts Joel Boget from the Boys Fort Reservation. Uh, welcome everyone to Episode Five of the Middle of the Res Road Podcast. Um, and yours truly. Charles Smith. Yes. He's a good guy. He's a good guy, this one. <laughs> um, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: I'm um, sure.
1: Just a little intro, you know.
2: Uh, well, my name is Hannah uh, Tibbetts from Fond du Lac Reservation, and um, I'm 33 years old. I don't know what else to say. Mental health therapist, working at Minoia Island.
0: How did you get into being a mental health therapist?
2: Um, Well, I kind of, like, fell into it, I guess. I didn't, like, pick it. Like, growing up, I wasn't, like, uh, I want to be a mental health therapist when I grow up. I just, uh, I don't know, was in school and... The the psychology classes were interesting to me and mostly because I wanted to learn more about myself, to figure out myself, and um, somehow I just ended up going into mental health therapy.
0: That's so weird that you say it just like that because I was having a conversation with my dad one day. This was a couple of months ago. He's told me this before, but... He just told me this like um, two months ago that when he went to the College of St. Scholastica, he was taking psychology classes. And he said, for the most part, people take psychology classes to figure out their sh- their own stuff. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, then I started thinking about it. And it makes sense. Yeah. Was there other students that you noticed that were doing like the same thing, trying to figure out their own stuff?
2: Um, I guess I didn't really get close to anyone in school to know enough about them but like originally I started going to school to get that at Fond du Lac to get the um I was taking all the indigenous courses I was going to get that certificate or whatever and because I always knew I wanted to work for the res but then I um transferred over to Riverland Community College when I moved And they didn't have any of those courses. And so, like, none of my credits transferred. But um, the only ones that seemed interesting were the psychology ones, since I had to, like, basically start over to get my AA degree. And that's where I took the, the courses, was at Riverland.
0: And to become a mental health therapist at the clinic... It just requires a AA or a bachelor's or masters. What do you have now?
2: A master's.
0: A master's yeah. in psychology?
2: In um social work. Social work. Yeah, clinical social work. And I, I went to the College of Saint Scholastica too.
0: That's where you got your master's degree?
2: Yeah. That's All where right. I got my bachelor's mm-hmm. and masters.
1: Um uh, <clears throat> let me uh, ask a question. Let's back that up a little bit. You said you fell into that. Yeah. That type of work. What what motivated you in your life? Right at that moment, where you just figured, I want to go back to school. I want to do something with my life. Or
2: that's that's actually a really good question because I remember exactly what it was. Like I um, I was working at the clinic doing registration. You know, checking people in for their medical and optical appointments. And I love that job because I could, I met everyone and I could see everyone and it it was cool. But I was uh, paying for daycare for my daughter. And that was literally like all my money would go to rent and then daycare. And I was like, what am I doing? Because I'm, Paying someone else to raise my daughter, I didn't like that. But then, too, um, a lot of people would be coming in there needing help with something, needing assistance with something. And, like, doing registration, I couldn't do as much as I know I could be doing. And um, that's what kind of prompted me to go into social work so I could – actively be with them doing the stuff that i've been through like i've been through all of that so
1: a little bit of experience then yeah of what you really wanted to do and that kind of just drove you to uh seek a better career
2: yeah yeah to get like to get paid more and to also be able to do more with people in the community
0: so becoming a mental health therapist how has that changed how you parent so you I suppose you would have parented differently without that kind of background or what you've been exposed to right
2: I think yeah I think it has like
0: compared to how you were parented
2: oh like how yeah How is it
0: different better
2: oh it's way better even I'm not like gonna diss my parents or anything but like I think me and Nellie have we have a way more closer relationship and I pay more attention to her and I listen to her
0: that's that's weird yeah it's like a generational thing I know it's not for everybody and I Joel one of the best parents that I know one of the only dads that I know that has full custody of his kids. Yeah. I mean, that's unheard of. That's weird. That doesn't happen every day. And then the parent, my, my own, you know, checking out my own parenting abilities compared to or capabilities or how I parent compared to my parents. It's completely different. It's like being more in touch with my emotions and feelings and making sure that I check with my parent or check with my kids on how they feel. And then even with my my own parents it, my relationship as I've gotten older as I've learned how to express myself my relationships with my parents both of them have gotten better.
2: That's awesome. I I guess my life has gotten better since I've learned more of these things to like even like setting boundaries with my parents or like my family. Like telling them what I need. Like I've learned to do that through working with other people.
0: Communication. Yeah. That's so weird. Like doing that for yeah. the first time yeah. or first couple of times, telling your parents, "Hey, I need this and I don't need that." Yeah. And they
1: could take offense to that. Yeah. They, they were, like, especially if they're they're not understanding where you're coming from with it. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah. I understand that. It like, usually
2: uh, causes fights.
1: Yeah. And, and it and it could feel like an attack. Yeah. It really can. And and I get that because I used to think that same way when when somebody would set boundaries with me. It's like it felt like an attack, like they didn't want anything to do with me. And, and no, that's just setting healthy boundaries and yeah. learning to accept those healthy boundaries is, is a beautiful thing, especially you
0: know, when your relationships could grow yeah. from that. Nellie, do you can you set boundaries with your mom? Not really. No? You ever learned that yet? One day.
2: I th- well, I don't know. I don't She's like scary. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> she's I, a mom. Well, I can think of one as like t- if she doesn't want her picture taken or whatever. No, you still take my I picture. just did <laughs> the other day. But normally I don't. Or post pictures that she don't like or like I don't go through her phone unless there's a reason like I give her privacy and I don't uh interfere with you and your friends I mean I think you know more about my friends than um their parents know about me like I tell you more yeah. Yes. Yeah,
1: see, and that—that's communication. That's beautiful. That you can talk to your mother about stuff like that. That is actually a very good thing, because you're you're just making your mother aware is what you're doing, and that's that's a good relationship that you have faith in your mom to be able to tell her things. Yeah, because like I have friends that don't tell their mom like anything, and it kind of weirds me out. So I'm like, you're not like it, I don't know how you can do that. Like, just, like, keep a bunch of stuff from your mom. Yeah. Like, like in a, and that's what my daughter is. When she talks to her mom, she talks to her mom about things that she don't talk to me about because I'm a dad. And she don't feel comfortable with that. And that's okay. it It's just, like, I just tell her, just get it out. Yeah. Get it out on your mom. Put it on your mom or do what you got to do. But there's some things she keeps from me. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> just being a dad. Like, um. But it, it ain't, like, bad things either. So right. it, it's, you know, it, her privacy, exactly what it is. Yeah. She, she wants that little bit of privacy, a little bit of her own thing, doing her own thing, and I, I understand that. But I could never go through her phone. Right. <laughs> she just would never allow that. Yeah. She would probably try to run away or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something.
0: <laughs> Man, I don't know what I'm going to do when my kids get older. I mean, they don't have no phones, but they have tablets. I don't ever go through their tablets. Once in a while, I'll check their apps and stuff, but not too much. They usually have their own privacy, too. They're living their own little lives and figuring out who they are. It's just awesome watching that process. It is. So
1: what really, really prompted me to ask Hannah into the podcast today was um, you've come from a very difficult life. Yeah. and you i see you you picked yourself back up and you're living this nice prosperous life with your kids involved and all this stuff and um you're exactly like me and Charlie are that you know you're working a program of recovery and um i wanted to shed some light on that cuz that's what people really need to hear is is uh you know like how how you've been doing that and how you've been focused on that and bettering yourself
2: yeah yeah i can i can talk about that um and i that's kind of why i wanted to bring Nellie too um because at her age like by the time i was her age 13 i was already on probation i'd already had minor cons- like 27 minor consumptions i would mm. already had tried drugs, numerous drugs, and, um, was smoking, you know, like, I was just going down the wrong path, and I couldn't talk to my parents about anything, and I was constantly in trouble, and, um, up until I was 19, I was, using it on probation and whatever constantly getting in trouble going to detox and like do you want like I got sober by uh getting a rule 25 I was homeless and I went and got a rule 25 um, from the county I was down in Rochester Minnesota because they sent me there from a treatment liberalis it used to be called because so they put me in liberalis, and then I went to a halfway house, got kicked out of the halfway house for fraternizing. And um, I was homeless for about a year. Then I went and got that Rule 25 and uh, just waited to go to treatment. But I thought I was going to die out there because I was really sick. And um, just being a female and being homeless... Uh, people knowing where you're at, n- not having anywhere to go, having to rely on people sometimes, and they weren't good people a lot of the times. There's, uh, I don't know. It was just crazy, and I went kind of, I went kind cra- kind of crazy too because of the drinking and because I was pretty chronic alcoholic. But so I went to treatment and. Well, first I went to detox and then from detox to the hospital and then from the hospital back to detox and then I walked to the treatment and they tried telling me that they didn't couldn't take me that day because it was a Sunday. But I was like, you got to take me. It's like I can't spend another night out here. Like I'll either die or I'll drink again and end up dying. Or, you know, so they let me in. And so I was there for about a year at that treatment. So it was pretty hardcore.
0: So when, you know, doing all those things, 27 minor consumptions, getting kicked out of halfway houses and treatment. Yeah. Is that all a result of trauma or anger, all of it?
2: Uh, Probably all of it. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what prompted me to uh, try drugs. The first time I tried anything, it was weed. But, like, my older sisters got me high, so they were already doing stuff. And then I would be huffing and whatever else. Like, I shouldn't even like be here I don't think because of the stuff I did as a young kid like with that like with seeking to be high or drunk I a lot of different things happen traumatic things that just kept it going more shame self-hatred you know just wanting to escape but I'd have, like, little periods of sobriety as a kid. They didn't last long. I just started working on a lot of this stuff that I went through as a kid recently, like, within the past four years.
0: So it's been, like, a new healing journey.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I And, too, I'm like, I was thinking about it. I don't think I would have been, like, he, Emotionally strong enough to even talk about any of that until now, and I have I have uh, fourteen years. Fourteen years. Yeah.
0: Nice. Hey. Congratulations. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. You you got clean right after I did.
2: Yeah. Uh, in two thousand eight.
0: And then you had that accident, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I got. I was in that treatment for like a year. I was um, working at Savers in Rochester. That was one of my favorite jobs. But uh, then I got pregnant with uh, Nellie during that time, fraternizing. At Savers? No, not Not at (laughs) Savers. I'm teasing. (laughs) Actually, actually at the mall, I was job searching. how Nellie was conceived but like that's it so they kicked me out I didn't even know that I was pregnant but they kicked me out of treatment um because my insurance ran up and because they wanted me I found this sober living house to live in but they didn't want me in there because it was a co-ed and um but it was it was cheap and it was a room and I was like they thought I had a issue with men or whatever so they were like no they wanted me to go to the Dorothy Day house which is a homeless shelter in Rochester and I I didn't even go there when I was homeless because it wasn't safe there like it's not safe there for women and or any any vulnerable person but um at the time yeah, at the time at Dorothy Day, yeah. Because they didn't lock the doors or nothing, and they had mul- multiple oh. people in rooms. Yeah, so I, was, I never – you're either going to get robbed or you're going to get touched or something. Yep. Like, so – They didn't
0: lock the doors? No,
2: none of none of the rooms had doors on them even. So anyone can
0: – Go wherever
2: yeah, they want in there. Yeah, yeah. and there's only That's one genius. staff. Yeah. yeah. So I never stayed there. I'm like, I'd rather take my chances outside.
1: So this was while you were in recovery, oh, in the beginning of your recovery then.
2: This was when, um, yeah, when they kicked me out because they wanted me to stay at Dorothy Day instead of staying at the sober living place that I had found, and my funding was up. So they kicked me out because I wasn't following their recommendations. But I stayed at that sober living place and I stayed there I for probably about like six months and then I moved in. once there was a bed available at the all women's sober living house I moved into there so then and I went to meetings every day like multiple times a day I'd walk to meetings and I walked to work because I didn't have a car for the longest time but I went to meetings every day. I got a sponsor. I was doing the steps. I broke up with her dad because her dad was still using, and ended up in jail. Actually, so I was like, "I'm not, I'm not hanging out with you anymore." You know, I quit hanging out with people who were using. I quit talking to them. Um. Yeah. So then the treatment let me come back and graduate. Before I move back up here to come home and have my baby. And
0: it's super cool. I just want to say it's super cool that you knew that she had 14 years or you're, it's on her 15th year, yeah. she
1: knew that. Like that's, yeah, that's amazing. Like so. Yeah. You know, like you're, I could see you're very proud of your mom's recovery, and that's what's up.
2: Yeah, she, she's she been coming to meetings with me since she was three days old. Sometimes she even tells me that she's like, I want to go to a meeting. I feel like I need to go to a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> nice. so she just goes to hang out with her friend. She don't participate in the meetings. We go in a room and we just hang out in there for the whole time.
1: There you go. get mm. to go to a meeting, go hang out with your friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I do that. Fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> fellowship. There you go. Yeah. Will always
2: ask yeah. i going to fellowship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's
0: awesome. My, yeah. my daughter, she's been asking me for like the last month, maybe two months, asking me to check out a meeting. Yeah. I finally took her to one like two weeks ago.
2: Oh, And really? she got
0: to see it. She's like, what do you do at these meetings? I'm like, you just want to go and check it out. So I was at the talking circle on Sundays Oh, at uh, One Roof. And she loved it.
2: She wants to go again. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it's weird. You know, she's like 60 years old. I mean, I don't talk to her much about recovery or I share with her what I've, what I've, what I can. Yeah. At that age. Yeah. But. It was the first time she she's always hearing that I'm going to a meeting, and she finally asked. So, brought her. Yeah, she's awesome.
2: Yeah, I think we need more of that. I I know we need more of that. Like even without, um, recovery or anything, just like talking with each other. Yep.
1: Communication barriers.
2: Yeah. Like
1: um. One more thing I wanted to ask you is—is is, you know you kind of explained a little bit of your story. How long were you in recovery before you started school?
2: Well, I started school at Fond du Lac um, when I moved back up here. So I was pregnant with Nellie when when I first started to get my AA, and then um, so then then I had Nellie. I was almost done with my AA degree. When I got into that car accident um, where I flew, I went off the bridge and then I had severe injuries and whatever. And that's kind of crazy too because Nellie was supposed to be with me that day. But something, she was up all night um, pulling at her ear and crying and whatever. So I asked my mom if she could bring her. To the doctor, I called the clinic and got a same-day appointment. And it was the same time as my death and dying class, which is weird, too. But it's weird, too, because I wasn't even really talking to my mom. And I was bringing Nellie to school with me because I had no one to watch her. And I wasn't really talking to my mom, but I thought Nellie was, you know, sick. So I asked her, even though I was resentful at her. (laughs) And um, she brought her, and after the class, that's when I got in that accident. So if that wouldn't have happened, Nellie would have been with me, and she didn't even have an ear infection. So I would have died? Probably, Nellie, yeah, because I went off the bridge.
0: Yeah, made the papers and everything. Yeah.
2: What's even stranger, too, like I was bringing a car seat for a lady that was um, at school who— she needed a car seat so I had this car seat in my car that wasn't strapped in or anything and um I guess that went flying out of my car somehow but um when they came and got when the paramedics came and they were tearing the roof off and taking me out I was screaming for Nellie because I didn't like I got knocked out and whatever but I was screaming for Nellie and thought she was with me because she was with me all the time she's always with me like and um they were looking and I could hear them talking about that car seat that there's no baby in it so like I was freaking out and um they finally called my mom and they told me that she was okay she was with my mom and it was just like a flood of like I just relaxed then and then I started feeling, like, the pain and whatever from my injuries. But so after that, I went – I moved away from here. That's when I went to Riverland. I moved to Austin. It's back s- southern Minnesota. But I moved down there to get away from my family. <laughs> like, just because of, like, the things that were all going on with – um how people were after my accident and whatever because it was just me and Nellie it's just been me and Nellie her whole life and um, I was struggling with the injuries and pain but also because um, I had to get a morphine drip and had to have surgery on my neck and then I had a TBI and It's like all the thoughts of using came back as soon as I felt that morphine drip. So I had a sponsor and I was telling her the whole time, you know, my thoughts and everything. And thankfully I didn't relapse or anything, but that was tough. But I was probably, I think I was like two and a half years sober when that happened. So then I started school in Riverland and then I got my AA there moved back home again and started working at the clinic for registration. And then and then I I did that for like two years and then I went back to school. So I've been out of school for like five years now.
0: And you maintained your recovery, you main you went to school, you moved all the, with all those injuries. T B I Yeah. Baby. Yeah. And did all of that by yourself
2: yeah with help though too <laughs> yeah. like,
0: well, well that that's
1: huge though like yeah. that the lifestyle that you came from yeah like like that gives me hope for them people out there that are possibly in the same position same uh state of mind or the same situation that you were yeah. in that there is hope that yeah. that there is a way out, and if you just work hard and you you follow your your heart and your desires and and your goals, I mean, those are huge goals that that you put in front of yourself to be a good mom to, yeah, to just to be a good human being, and and you 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 did, you know, you're doing it, you're still doing it, fourteen
0: years later. So, with all those life experiences, because not everybody lived a life like you. Like I know some of it, I know some of it when we were really close back yeah. in the day and then getting to know you again. How does that impact the way you work with your clients, kids, community? Like that life experience, how how does that impact? How does that change? How does that make you better at what you do?
2: I I think it I think it makes me better at what I do because I've Had similar experiences, and I know I know what, like, if it is like a barrier thing or like any sort of obstacle thing. But I think just knowing what they're experiencing, I don't know because with school, it's like, yeah, they teach you whatever, like, they have a curriculum they're teaching you whatever it is they have to you know but like none of that even compares to like actual real experience like like when, if if people know i'm in recovery i think that opens them up to talk to mo- more about it um if they know too like i'm not judgmental i don't have any um biases or whatever towards anything like that but um I don't know I think just a real personal experience I don't even have to tell them I think people just know because I I knew like I've been to a lot of therapists my whole life like I've been forced to see them I've been um trying to find ones uh, that fit for me, that you know, I felt comfortable with, and most of them I didn't because I knew they had no idea what I was even talking about. They have no personal experience with it, and that can be that can be really frustrating when you're trying to find connection with somebody and they don't have it. But like with kids with working with kids. Um, I've had, like, a lot of healing, like, personal healing while working with them because a lot, well, a few times kids have came and they've almost said exactly the stuff that I was going through as a kid. Like, the same situations, the same type of things happening in their lives. And and it's like something'll hit me and they're telling me about it. And um I think like what did I need to hear as a kid when that was going on with me? Like what do I wish somebody would have said to me about it? And then it's like I then it's like me not even talking, it's like our spirits are connecting. It's been, like, the most beautiful thing, like, the most rewarding thing um, is working with the kids.
1: I understand everything you just said, and that that is beautiful. Yeah. That, like, where you just, that that bond, you know, that bind that you have with the kids just becomes stronger, that bond yeah. that you, with the kids, and that's helping you heal. Yeah. At the same time, I totally understand that. That's, uh, that's, uh, spirituality or it's just something that, that you can't see, but you yeah, feel it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and I know they feel it too. Yep. I know they do. Like, I don't know. That's, that's been the most rewarding thing to, and to watch them after, like, Like, some of them I've said, like, you're going to have a good life. Like, none of this stuff that has happened to you is going to affect you, like, because you're working on it and you know the truth about it. Like, a lot of the stuff that's happened isn't their fault. It had nothing to do with them as, you know, it doesn't have to be a part of them. It doesn't have to weigh them down because we're working on it, like, they're gonna be able to have a good life. And and I see it now. Like I see them having good better lives. Like and as kids like I wish I wish like I had one person as a kid that was understanding and that would talk to me about stuff and would um not judge me or blame me or get mad at me. Like I think that's like we all need someone like that, even as adults. Yes.
0: I think I, that's like a generational thing. We were just talking about this the other day. Yeah. Like sympathy <laughs> like, versus empathy. Yeah. Like the big difference, like you can sympathize. oh, that sucked. Yeah. That sucked. I you know, too bad that happened to you. Lucky it didn't happen to me. Like yeah. basically saying that and then people just sitting with you and exper- experiencing it with you for yeah. a second or five minutes and hour that empathy is is a huge thing
2: yeah
1: just sitting with you allowing you to express yourself yeah and not having to say anything to them but they know you're listening yeah and that's why you know charlie kind of explained that to me the other day and here i am four and a half years into my recovery and it's like i'm learning new things yeah And, and and that's just um that's just awesome that I have really good people around me and and, and I really I really like what you said you know, about the connection thing because and, and you know like as you're saying that it's like man I've said that before what did I need when I was a kid what yeah. did, what did I need and everything you said was exactly what what I was thinking about everything I needed I needed someone to listen I needed someone to play with I needed someone to understand me yeah i needed someone that i could openly be vulnerable with and show feelings yeah but um you know it wasn't like that you know back in uh the late the mid 80s <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: oh it wasn't like that growing up no. either in the 90s man uh,
2: uh, no and
1: it just wasn't you know and it's like um I was kind of grown up on being told, you know, like, you're a man, don't cry. Yeah. Or, you know, and I, I'm not saying anything, you know, that's just the way it was when I was young, is, you know, shut up or I'll give you something to cry about. Right. And, and not, you know, so so right away you had to mask emotions. And and that's a trauma, too, and that probably goes back way back. And um, today I'm glad I'm aware of that and I understand that, that that's just um, how we heal traumas. Yeah. And how we heal past and, and how we look at things today.
0: So, like, what are the next steps for Hannah and Nelly? Like, the next big steps in Ooh, life.
1: New goals, yes. Yeah. What are the new goals?
2: I don't know. That's I've been trying to figure out, like, new goals for me because I do like to be busy like now, after finishing school and um, being in this position now for a while, I'm like, okay, I got this career now, and we're more comfortable now. Still living paycheck to paycheck basically, but we're it's like in a lot better place than we've been in, and we have four cats. So, like, we have pets and we have a dog. Uh, but I, like, kind of found myself getting, um I don't, not, not bored, but, like, almost depressed. I'm like, this is it. This is it for, this is how my life is going to be. Like, it's not, I need to have, like, different goals because it's something to be working towards. Otherwise, I just am kind of lazy, and I don't know what the right word, restless, I guess.
0: Private practice in the future?
2: That's Yeah, something. I, I was thinking about getting my PhD, maybe. I still got to get my state license. I'm licensed through the tribe right now. And honestly, I don't really care too much about that difference, and there's really no difference in licensure, except like I can only use the Fond du Lac license for FondLac, but that's the only place I want to be, anyways. Like I, I've always only wanted to work for my community.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and that's a goal. Yeah, that is it. That's a huge goal.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, like one of my goals that. Um I I think too doesn't get talked to or talked about enough is my own mental health and like that spiritual growth. Cause now I'm at a place where I can finally work on these things that have haunted me my whole life and has caused issues in all my relationships. Um I can finally work on them. So I'm in therapy now, again, and actually working on my own stuff. So, like, I think that's a goal. Like, me and Nellie both have, like, she she's recently started therapy, too. So, like, spiritual growth, our mental health.
0: Therapy's huge. I mean, yeah. I love therapy, like... I had my session today at three o'clock, and uh, it was like the best session so far. So therapy. And uh, the weird thing is that you still get it, kind of. I get it once in a while from other people when I tell them about therapy. Never in the rooms, never at meetings, but outside of the meetings, I'll get. They'll. I'll get the funny looks. Like, man, you're crazy, aren't yeah. you? Like that stigma. Yeah. It's weird that stigma is still kind of present in in culture outside of anyone doing any type of transformation or healing or, you know, change.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So one more question before we wrap it up. How does one go about getting services for their children? Oh. Through the reservation.
2: Oh, through the reservation? Yes. Well, um, or just
1: just any any sur- any services. Say you want want to get your kid at uh, any valuation, or or just um something of that nature. Like where maybe they start, you know, like not doing well in school or not, and maybe something's going on and the parents don't see that. Yeah. So it's like where 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 would you recommend to start? Like as a just as a, I would say. Uh, kind thing to do loving thing to do a caring thing to do just because you love your children yeah and i think that's a really good message to put out there
2: i guess i guess the first thing i would do and would suggest for anyone to do is to talk to their kids about it first before like sending um sending referrals or getting other people involved first and see what the kids think about it. And and maybe that too, maybe they've been wanting you to ask them like how they've been doing. And that's just an opportunity to talk about it. Um, But then after that, there's like, there's tons of different resources for mental health. And I know there's like waiting lists To everywhere but even just to get on the waiting list because sometimes like just knowing you're gonna go knowing you're like gonna be set up to go might be enough to keep someone going you know but um for the res it's kind of different because you have to be eligible and there's different eligibility things and the eligibility line on, on the res that can If you just call the clinic, they'll they'll send you to the eligibility line. Otherwise, there's, um, like, HDC around here. And people can just call Call them up or have the schools. The schools can help, too, send referrals.
0: And sometimes, uh, what my therapist has shared, you just, you know, ask your, like, Hannah, that's probably the best thing to do is ask your kids— you know, talk to your kids and develop a plan. And but if they want to go to therapy, my therapist said, "Yeah, you just call us up and we'll get them a therapist. We'll if if you want them to see the same therapist, see me. She can come. Your kids can come see me. And then because you already have a relationship with that therapist, I don't know if that's how that worked with you. That's how it worked at um, ther- the therapy that I go to. Yeah, Birch and Pine."
2: okay free advertisement yeah yeah um yeah i um i'll do like family therapy with families with parents with their kid if if the parent like parent involvement is the is the number one thing though for therapy to really be effective with younger children um Because normally uh, with younger children, there's only issues because there's issues with the parenting. Not saying that there's, but the parenting styles or techniques might just need to try something different or get them more involved in some aspect of some of it. So like with younger children, parent involvement is, it has to, like you have to be involved.
1: I like that. Yeah, and I just think that's a that's a good message to share. A good,
0: a very good message to pass. Hannah, can I ask you one question before we get done? Yeah. So you know, you you like put the last fourteen years in forty eight minutes only. Yeah. Uh, can we have you come back again? One of the and do another follow up episode or another episode? You know, because you got you're you live an interesting life. You're going. Doing recovery things all the time. You have your yeah. best friend, that you know she has her own story. Yeah, Maybe we can get her on there with I, you. Yeah, and then you got the ink. Yeah, that I we was didn't even get to yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cross that's addiction. That's, that's, yeah, <laughs> if you that, yeah, you want to do it. Yeah, again?
2: I will. Yeah, and I was actually telling my friend that she sh- should share her story. And, and yeah,
1: we can bring you both on. Okay, that, yeah, that'd, yeah, be okay too, that'd, that'd be okay too. Because you could probably bounce off one another, and, yeah. and, and it'll actually make a pretty good episode.
2: Yeah, because she's a big reason why I've had fun in recovery. She's the only reason I've had fun in recovery. It's because of her. That's dope. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. good. Oh, I still use um. that word.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll come back.
1: Okay, there we go. We got the verbal, so it's already in writing. Whoa. <laughs> no, I'm uh-huh. just kidding.
0: <laughs> and as we say in Ojibwe, uh, good Ojibwe salutation. If you guys didn't know, in Ojibwe, Nelly, you can remember this one. It's really easy. It's super easy. Wewene sana. Wewene sana in Ojibwe means take care. It, means, it literally means live a good life. Wewene sana, Ginoa. Aho, giga waba min minawa.
2: Aho.